Well, amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, choir and orchestra band. Uh, great opportunity this morning to worship the Lord. Amen. And I uh, want to invite you to open your Bible with me to Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And uh, you brought a Bible with you. Say amen. Now, I'm going to do some preaching this morning, so y'all going to have to go ahead and get with me, all right? So y'all brought your Bible. Say amen. And uh, excited about what God has uh, for us today and uh, how he's going to speak to our hearts. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, if you're visiting with us, we're going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. And uh, we find ourselves in chapter 10 and verse 1. So stand with me in honor of God's Word this morning, and uh, let's see what the Lord would have to say to us. Uh, the Bible says, Now after this, uh, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house eating and drinking what they give to you. For no laborer is, or I'm sorry, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, they don't receive you. Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom uh, than for that city. Let's pray together. Father, we've opened up uh, your book, so you wrote this for us. And uh, God, you desire for us to hear from you. So I would pray that that would be the case, uh, that we would open our ears to heaven and that you'd speak clearly. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus in this moment that you would fall down upon the congregation and we would experience and encounter uh, your presence. And God, I pray that every person in here would know that you are here. And so, God, I pray as well that you would draw people to salvation and you would draw people to be challenged to go on a mission uh, to join you in what you're already up to in the world. And Father, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would grant me the strength and energy to accomplish the task uh, during the next several minutes. And God, we're going to give you glory for it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. And you can be seated. Well, in the month of September, you will remember that we discussed uh, together how we as a fellowship desire to experience the glory of God in our midst. When I speak about the glory of God, uh, the definition of that really is just a verifiable and undeniable mighty work of God among our worship where we sense the weight of his presence among us. And as we continue in Luke's gospel together, we find out that when the glory comes down, the glory moves out. You know, my prayer has expanded through this study I not only am praying that we at Concord experience the glory of God, but I'm also praying that we would experience a glory movement. And by that particular term, glory movement, what I mean is a movement of God's people into the fields of our community, unleashing the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, those who experience the Lord of glory have a deep desire for others to experience him as well. In other words, if you're a genuine convert to Jesus Christ, you want to see other people get saved. You know, our text this morning uh, opens the door on a glory movement, allowing us interest into how God works through his people. Jesus appointed 35 teams of two, commissioning them to tell everyone that the kingdom of God has come near to you. And like these 70, all followers of Christ, please listen to that, 
like these 70s, all followers of Christ in this church age have been appointed by Jesus and commissioned by him to join God's world-redeeming enterprise. You know, God has given the New Testament church a mission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, Paul the Apostle writes to the church also saying this, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling himself to the world, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us a word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So in short, Jesus has commissioned and he has also equipped us to experience a glory movement in which the gospel of Jesus pours forth from our fellowship into our community. Now imagine with me for just a moment, Jesus standing on a large rock so that the crowd of 70 as well as the 12 disciples would be able to see him and to hear him. And as they silence the chatter among themselves, Jesus begins by saying, notice verse 2 again in your Bible, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, having lived their lives in an agricultural region, all of them would have seen a field that was ready to be harvested before. Using that word picture, Jesus described the cities they were about to go and enter. He says the harvest is plentiful. That is, there are many who are ready for the good news. There's a massive group who are ripe for the harvest. Uh, literally, they will respond to the message of Jesus Christ. But Jesus goes on and says, but the laborers are few. And he's speaking about those 70 that he's talking to. So he's standing there and he realizes that the harvest is plentiful. But here he has 70 individuals who are going out. And he calls them few. You know, the word laborers describes workers. It speaks of doers. However, the problem obviously is that there's only a few of them. In other words, the amount of harvesting that needed to be done was disproportionate to the amount of workers who were willing to actually do the work. Now, with that in mind, I want to share with you uh, something. You know, in my uh, office here at the church, I have a whiteboard there. And on that whiteboard, I have a list of the six counties that surround Concord Baptist Church. And beside each one of those counties, there is an estimated number of unreached and unchurched people who live in that particular county. I got this information from the Georgia Baptist Convention. But I want you to think about this with me for just a moment this morning. Uh, concerning the harvest that the Lord has given to you and I. Think about the uh, county in which you live. In Lumpkin County, there are 22,100 unchurched and unreached people. In White County, there are 19,750 unreached and unchurched people. In Habersham County, there are 30,500 people who are unreached. In Hall County, there's 126,360 some odd people who have not been reached with the gospel. In Banks County, there are 13,500 people unreached, unchurched. Dawson County, there are 15,900 people. Now, I have that list on the board in my office with all those numbers beside the counties. But then at the bottom, I have the estimated total of the individuals surrounding our church who are unreached with the gospel. Do you know that is a total of 228,000 uh, 110 individuals who, for all practical purposes, are far from God and on a broad road that leads to destruction. 
Now, Concord Baptist, are y'all listening? Say yes. Concord, on a good day, we have a thousand people in our worship services. Uh, so, as I looked at that, I did a little bit of mathematics. A thousand people, 228,000 who are unreached. And I'm not a mathematician, so I had to ask somebody to help me with this. But listen to what I found out. I found out that Concord is reaching less than a half a percent of those in our surrounding communities uh, with the gospel. Less than half. Uh, to be exact, it was 0.4% of the people in our area are being reached by this fellowship. You know, I also found out that only 15% of churches in America are growing. And of those 15%, only 2% of those churches are growing because people are actually coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So among those 15% of churches who are growing, the reason many of them are growing is because some individuals are leaving one church to go to another church. It's a little thing we call sheep swapping. Y'all listening? And so they just go from one place, one pen, to the next pen. But those that are really growing, and by the way, church growth is really when individuals come to faith in Jesus Christ. So they were once in darkness, but now they're in the light. Once they didn't realize their sin, but God made it apparent to them that his wrath was coming and they needed salvation. They saw that in the person of Jesus Christ, repented of their sin, placed their faith in him. They were forgiven of their sin. They were birthed into the family of God. That is church growth. And only 2% of American churches are actually experiencing that. Now, whenever we consider how many people are around us who do not have an opportunity or they hadn't heard the gospel, and then we begin to consider what God is doing in our church family, and we're excited about the growth that we've experienced and the conversions that we have seen take place. But there are some individuals who may come around and they may say stuff like this, you know, Concord, our, our church is getting too big. And I'm like, too big? Are you kidding? We are barely making a dent in the darkness. 0.4%? And we're like, we're getting too big. Uh, which one of those individuals in our community we will look at and say, hey, uh, excuse me, we're getting too big. Uh, you're not going to be able to come here anymore. Good luck. Are y'all out there? I told you I was going to preach whether y'all want me to or not, all right? Are we going to act like that? No, no, no. That is not the call of the church body. So, you know, here the leadership of Concord is very excited about what's going on. You know, I do want to kind of give you a, a quick little quote that one pastor said recently. He said, as long as there is a heaven and a hell, church growth is not an option. So as long as there is an eternity of hell to be shunned and a heaven to be gained, then you and I must continue to plug along at seeking to reach other people. And, you know, as we at leadership at Concord are looking forward to January of next year, already excited about what God's going to do during that particular month. We're looking to plant a new third service. We're looking also to plant a second Sunday school hour. This will actually enable us to maximize our footprint here on this campus. Now, on any given Sunday, the maximum footprint, really, that we will be able to hit is 1,500 people in worship and maybe 1,200 people in Sunday school. Now, if we already got 1,000 in worship and we're saying we can only hit probably another 500 people, then at the rate of what is happening, that's not going to take very long. So we're going to max out on a given Sunday. What are we going to do then? Stop growing? Good answer. So what are we, what are we going to do? And it's like, well, we've got to start planting churches. So Concord Baptist Church eventually is going to have to become a church planting fellowship. And some people are like, why in the world do we think like this? Why do we move forward in seeking to reach others? Uh, here's the reason why we do that. Because Jesus said so. 
which is legit. Would you not agree? Uh, so I think you would agree the church, that is Concord, needs to experience a glory movement where the gospel flows from this campus like a cool spring water in a desert region making many disciples. You know, I was preaching revival some years ago at a church in the sticks of Georgia. I can't even remember where I was, uh, but I remember being in that church. I was going to be there uh, the entire week preaching every night. And there was a group that was gathered in that church. It was a small group, but it was a packed house. And boy, they love to sing. Y'all listening? Y'all like to sing. This church was getting crazy. So for about 45 minutes to an hour, they were singing. They sang the uh, hymnal, and uh, so they would open up their hymn books to a particular song, and they would sing loud. Not good. I said loud. All right, so they were getting after it, make a joyful noise. You know what I'm saying? They were joyful. But anyway, so they were singing, but they began to sing this song by Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby is an awesome hymn writer. And as I was looking at that particular hymn and they were singing it out, my eyes began to really look for the first time at the lyrics of that song. And then it began to sink deep into me what she was actually speaking about when she wrote the song. Listen to the lyrics. She says and writes, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave, weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Those who are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. Rescue to perishing, duty demands it. Strength for your labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. Now I want you to think for just a moment what is surrounding us. Over 200,000 people who are perishing. And what are we supposed to be doing about it? Well, if I could quote that song, you and I should be rescuing the perishing. You know, I think that if Jesus stood behind this pulpit today in the flesh, he would issue the same statement to us that he did to the 70 in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. He would look at you and I and he would say, hey, listen, the harvest is plentiful. There are plenty of people out there who still need the gospel. As well, he would follow up with the statement given to the 70, and he would say, but the laborers are few. That is, the number of those who need to be reached is disproportionate from the number of workers. The doers, the workers, the laborers, they are few. There are 220-something thousand people who need the gospel. And then we've got 1,000. The laborers are few. So what must we do? How should we respond? What should be our activity as a fellowship so that we can fulfill the mission which Jesus has given us in making disciples? What should we be about? Are y'all ready to hear it say yes? Here's a few statements for you. Number one, we must be desperate for a glory movement of God. We must be desperate for a glory movement of God. Look in your Bible again at verse 2. He says the harvest is what? I'm asking y'all, y'all fill in the blank. The harvest is what? But the laborers are? But then he says, therefore. Now he's going right into some instruction. He says, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now look at that word beseech. It means to earnestly beg. And the word beseech is the same Greek word used in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, to describe the man with leprosy falling at the feet of Jesus, begging for a healing. So he was beseeching the Lord Jesus. So with that in mind, listen closely, we should be a church family that falls at the feet of the Lord in prayer, begging for him to send out more workers into the harvest field. And like the man with leprosy, he was desperate. He could not change his situation. 
and he was in need of a divine touch from above. And we have to be desperate as well. Uh, we have to come to the realization that we are faced with a task that is absolutely outside the scope of our ability. We haven't made a dent in the darkness by reaching a thousand. We can't reach those whom God has placed in our region without a divine touch from above. So what do we pray for? Well, Jesus said we pray for more workers. How do we do it? We do it earnestly, desperately, humbly, pleading, begging for the Lord to send more workers into the harvest. You know, we're reminded that this indeed is the Lord and his harvest. Uh, it reminds us of that because you and I need to see that the harvest itself is up to God. But we are called to go and plant the seed. But God's the one who causes it to grow. Now, I'm of the conviction that if Jesus told us to pray in this particular manner, that the Lord stands ready to answer this prayer. So the question to our fellowship is, are we truly desperate enough for God to really move? Do we really desire for him to do so? Listen, are y'all listening to the preacher say yes? I do not want us to become a church. Are y'all listening? I don't want us to become a church that comes in here and it's just ho-hum, check off a little list and go back home. I don't want us to be a church family that comes together and sings a few songs, shakes the preacher's hand and rolls out. I want us to be a church like the Bible says we ought to be a church. One that comes where we grow in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and we are energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out with the gospel. Listen, if we're not going out with the gospel, we stand one more Sunday into being a dead church. We have flat out got to be serious about making disciples everywhere. And we've got to be uh, begging the Lord to do that. And just think about it. It's the same word used by that dude with leprosy. You think the guy with leprosy, when he came up to Jesus, that he fell down at his feet and led in silent prayer? No, no, no. He came, man. Nobody could help him. So he fell down on his feet and he grabs hold of him and says, Jesus, please make me clean if you're willing to do so. That has to be the heartbeat of our church family. We pray earnestly in the same temperament as a man with leprosy when he comes to Christ. And we say, Lord, we are in desperate need of you to move. We have so many people who need to be reached, but God, the laborers are few. Give us more workers. We've got to beg the Lord. Well, I'm going to start begging, whether you're going to beg him with me or not. That has been my prayer over the past week and a half. Begging the Lord that he'd send more people. Listen, times are short, man. <laughs> hey, you remember when you were in uh, high school and you used to think, man, I'm never going to graduate. Some of y'all can't remember high school. You remember when you were in... <laughs> remember when you thought to yourself when you were in school... Summer is never going to get here. I'm asking y'all a question. Please help, help me, Rhonda. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for coming this morning. <laughs> it's interesting because whenever we used to say, man, summer's never going to get here. I'm never going to graduate. Summer came, didn't it? Graduation came, didn't it? Well, I'm here to tell you the wrath of God is coming. And some people are like, it's never going to get here. That's what you said about summer, too. Are y'all listening to the preacher? So there is a uh, short amount of time, and we got to start begging the Lord to send more workers out before the wrath of God consumes people. Well, all that was free. Let me give you the second point. Y'all with me? Here's the second point. We better be ready for an attack. We better re be ready for an attack. If we're going to start desperately praying for a glory movement of God, we've got to be ready for attack. Look at verse 3 in your Bible. He says, Go. 
Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Hey, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? I mean, you got to think about this. The 70 are all fired up about ministry. We're fixing to go out as Jesus' ambassadors. He's like, hey, fellas, sending y'all out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Wait a minute. You're doing what to us? The commentator Matthew Henry writes it like this. He says, your enemies will be as wolves, bloody and cruel, and ready to pull you to pieces. In their threatening and reviling, they will pass as howling wolves to terrify you. In their persecutions of you, they will be as ravening wolves to tear you up. See, Jesus warns them plainly that they're going to be attacked. And listen, if we are to experience a glory movement, it will not be a move of God without a true spiritual attack. So somebody's like, well, why an attack? Well, because the forces of spiritual darkness have no use for the gospel. The gospel, uh, literally, they hate the Lord Jesus, they loathe him. God's people, they cannot stand him, hate him vehemently. And his message of grace to the sinner, they don't want anyone to hear. So when a glory movement begins, demons take notice. They strategize attacks, and they bring the heat of spiritual battle. Hell does not fear a church that keeps to itself. Hell does not fret over a fellowship that is not desperate for God's glory. Hell does not care how loud we sing or how often we gather. However, demons shake, they tremble, they chatter when a local fellowship becomes overwhelmed with desperation for God and begins to pray for more laborers in the field. They fight against the church praying this way because the Lord told us to pray like this and they know the Lord will answer that prayer. So if we become serious about seeing a glory movement, we better get ready for a spiritual attack. And as well, if we are to experience a glory movement, it will not be a move of God without hatred from some individuals. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 and 15, we are the fragrance, aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we're an aroma from death to death, but to the other, an aroma from life to life. What Paul is saying is this, when you and I began to go forth with the mission of the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ for some people and they smell that message, they are going to hate it. And they're going to hate you. And they're going to come after you. They do not desire to hear it. But to those who are being saved, they're going to love it. It's going to smell good to them. You know, there'll be some who hate it. There'll be some who love it. And because of their hard hearts, those who hate it, they will turn from the message of God's grace and they will, listen, turn their anger towards those who are living and talking about Jesus. And so I believe Jesus says to us at Concord, Go, and behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And in short, we better be ready for an attack. But you know, there is also another kind of attack, not one that simply comes from without, but there can also be a, an attack which comes from within. As a matter of fact, there might be some wolves who are dressed in sheep clothing, ready to pounce upon any who desire a move of God. However, the flip side is we can all miss out on the attack. Let me ask you that. That, that sounds good, doesn't it? We can miss out on the attack. Because what the deal is, is Jesus is like, we're going out there. Man, y'all are fixing to be eaten up. Get ready. It's going to be awesome. It's like we're going to be attacked. How can we miss the attack? Anybody in favor of missing an attack? Can I get a witness on that? Some of y'all are in favor of it. The flip side is this. We can miss the attack of the enemy if we choose to be a disobedient church. Y'all ain't for it no more, are you? You didn't know I was going there. I apologize. I uh, led you into that trap. 
We could say the Lord, uh, Lord, we will not desperately cry out for more workers. Lord, we are fine how we are. We will not go as you command. We're comfortable right where we are sitting. Uh, we can avoid the attack of the enemy if we avoid obedience to the call of Jesus. Only one major problem with that, when we live with that kind of an attitude as a church body, it is an amazing display of pride and arrogance. And while the attack of the enemy may not come to our front doorstep, the opposition of God will. As the Bible says in the book of James that God opposes the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I desire not to be a prideful fellowship who thinks we've got a better idea than Jesus. Because whenever our head gets that big, we run the risk of God himself opposing us. Can you imagine that, a church being opposed by the Lord? I mean, I don't want to be a church like that. I don't want to be a Christian like that. Y'all with me on that one? There's no doubt. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's what I like. He gives grace to the humble. We bow before the Lord in humility, seeking him, begging him, send more workers, be with us as we go. That is humility. And the Bible says God gives grace in that situation. And grace is not only grace that saves you, man. Grace empowers you to do what God's called you to do. So it's not like you live right and God then gives you more grace. It's like you just be obedient to the Lord. He graces you with his power to accomplish the impossible. It's just like the Lord to do something like that. Looking at those 70s, it's like the harvest is plentiful. There ain't many of y'all here. Y'all go. Hey, by the way, y'all are lambs going out there in the midst of wolves. God bless you. They're going out for this monumental task. And you and I as a church body, that's what God is doing with us. He's like, there's a monument. Look at all these unchurched, unreached people. There's not a lot of you, but you go out there and you get ready to be attacked. You go. You go. There's a third statement I want to give you this morning from the text, and that is we must get after it. We must get after it. Look at verse 4 uh, through 9 once again. I think that's probably as far as I'm going to get this morning. Uh, carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is a great sense of urgency from the lips of Jesus. He doesn't want them to weigh themselves down with extra stuff. He doesn't want them to worry about where they're going to stay that night or how they're going to eat. He instead issues a get-after-it command and trust him completely to take care of all of the needs. Now, one commentator makes this statement. I want you to hear this because this is good. This quote here. In each city they entered, the missionaries were to use their delegated power to reverse the physical effects of evil. With each healing miracle, they were to announce that the miracle was just a foretaste of Jesus' future reign, end quote. See, we as a fellowship have to be like these 70. We have to have a get-after-it attitude. You know, I fear we calculate our time upon the earth to be too lengthy. Instead, we should calculate our time on earth as the Scripture does. We're only a vapor. We're here for one moment and then gone the next. We need to pray for God to send workers, and we must also be the sent workers ourselves. You see, every single believer is a missionary in the field. We have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, which redeems the sinner from the fierce wrath of God. 
The gospel declares that Christ died for the sin of man as a substitute. He paid the penalty of sin, which is death. And the gospel, it rings forth the truth of Jesus' resurrection and his soon return. And men should repent of their sin, turn from it, and trust their lives with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it is in Jesus Christ and only him that a person can be forgiven of their sin. And it is in Jesus Christ where we are mobilized as a group, as a New Testament church, to go forward with the gospel message to see his glory made known among us. See, as one is redeemed, we see that sin's effect upon a person is reversed. Where sin would once carry a person to hell, Jesus paid for that sin, and now they're on their way to heaven. Where once they were empty and had no purpose in life, when you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. And the Bible says in Acts 1 and 8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. You and I, as followers of Christ, have been given the Holy Spirit who gives us power to be his witnesses. You know, every once in a while we run into somebody and they're like, well, I just don't have the gift of gab. I can't tell people about the gospel. Listen, the Bible says you have the Holy Spirit residing within you. And whenever you shirk a responsibility of being a witness, how grievous that is to the Spirit of God who has come upon you so that you could be a witness. So the Spirit of God resides within you and empowers you to go forth with the gospel. And ladies and gentlemen, man, I desire not only to be a Christian who's sharing the gospel, but I desire to see our church be a church filled with people who are sharing the gospel. And when the glory comes down upon a church, God works mightily among his people. And when the glory comes down, we desire for the glory to move out into our communities. It's like we've experienced God, and we want others to experience him as well. So we want to run out and tell people. You know, as I consider that, uh, even this morning preaching, and this mess ain't in my notes, but it's a great uh, truth uh, in the Old Testament. You have uh, God making a promise that the wrath of the Lord was coming. He made that promise to Noah. He made that promise through Noah. And he told Noah to build an ark. And everybody, I'm sure, thought Noah was crazy, building an ark that was nowhere near a, uh, a water stream, and it had never rained before. And so Noah begins to preach, and he's like, there's a flood coming. God promised the flood was coming. And you got to consider for just a moment how ridiculous Noah looks. So Noah gets up there, and he begins to build this ark. They're like, what you doing, Noah? Building a boat. Uh, you're just a pretty big old boat. What you doing with that thing, man? I'm telling you, you better get up a hammer and get inside this boat because the wrath of God's coming. And all the people thought he's crazy. Didn't pay any attention to him, and then it rained. And you can imagine, too, whenever it starts raining, how the people who used to hang out in their houses now are like, oh, my word, it's doing what Noah said it was going to do. We probably ought to make our way down to the ark. So they'd start running in that direction. They'd get up as close as they could to the ark, but the door's already shut. They can't get inside the ark. Rains, it floods, the people perish. It wasn't because they weren't warned. It wasn't because there was not an escape route. And the wild thing is that right now, what I'm trying to do is uh, warn everybody. Are y'all listening? I mean, I hate to be like this, but this is wild. I, our job as preachers is to warn people of the wrath of God that is to come. God's wrath is coming. Listen, uh, not in water like it was in the Old Testament because there's a promise that that won't happen again. But it is coming in fire. And what I'm doing is not telling people to get into the ark. What I'm doing is trying to tell people to get in Christ. 
And whenever you get in Christ, then you miss the wrath of God because he absorbed it on your behalf on the cross. So you got to come to Christ. That's the message of every, uh, how shall I say, Bible-preaching pulpit. And if the dude behind the pulpit won't tell the people that, he's a sissy. Because that's the thing. What happens is, like, don't tell people that, man. That don't build a crowd. That ain't the goal. The goal is to make disciples. So, you know, building a crowd to go to hell is no fun. We want to make disciples who are on their way to heaven, and they want others to go to heaven. You know, it's always been a passion of mine since I uh, came to know the Lord. Even as a young kid, I was sharing the gospel, but uh, God put it on my heart again that um, it's kind of like I'm driving a bus on the way to heaven. Are y'all listening? And my goal is basically to get as many people on the bus as possible. And there's some people that don't ride the bus. They don't want to ride it. It's like, well, let me know how that Volkswagen goes for you, bruh. And you ain't trying to be ugly, but you are trying to warn people. That's the thing. People come to get baptized by John the Baptist. He's like, what you coming down here for? Who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? You just want to get baptized because you see a whole bunch of people getting baptized. Are y'all out there? That's pretty wild stuff when you begin to think about it. That's, uh, that's why, you know, whenever we, and y'all just have to hear my heart here now. I'm trying to be honest with y'all, but uh, not take up too much of your time. But uh, it, it um, how shall you say it, uh, grieves my heart whenever we um, have a church body that is not persistent and passionate about getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out collectively. And don't get me wrong, I'm fired up. We got some people who want to see people get saved. Last Monday night, a buddy of mine uh, had already told me, he said, next time you go out to share the gospel, holler at me. I want to go with you. So I hollered at him Monday morning because I was going Monday night, had an appointment. So Casey uh, hopped in the car with me, and uh, he and I went to this house, and we went in there. The sole purpose was to share the gospel. Can I tell you, every time I share the gospel, I'm nervous as a cat. Every time you would think, well, you're the preacher. You shouldn't get nervous. It'll just be easy. Now, it ain't easy. And what's wild is you forget, whenever you're sharing the gospel, you're on the front lines of spiritual battle. The enemy don't want you to say that stuff. So anyway, inside this house, sharing the gospel, went through the whole plan of salvation with uh, two of the teenagers who were in the house because their mom and dad had just given their heart to Christ here in the church. So we just went down there to share the gospel with them and uh, asked them if they want to turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus. And they're like, yes, we do. And this morning, we baptized the whole family in the first service. That's, listen, that's the wild thing is that the harvest is plentiful. There's people out there who need to be saved, who will be saved. And God said, you got the gospel, Concord. Go out there and tell them. <laughs> Can I come back right here a second? This makes me feel better when I'm sitting right here. Just you and me, ain't it? Just you and me, ain't it? And I'm talking to you. They don't bother you 200,000 people running away to hell. That messes me up, man. I, I think what would mess me up uh, even worse is that we knew that and we didn't do anything about it. That's what really is like. That's crazy. Now, here's the goal. Y'all listening? The goal is that the community. Are y'all listening? Let me come out here. I don't feel like y'all paying attention. Let me sit down with you. I'm getting tired anyway. Three services. We're going to have to pray. But anyway, so uh, look at me eyeball to eyeball. Y'all see that fly? God bless you. That is not ADD. That was seriously a fly. 
I, I think what uh, would, would mostly uh, trouble me is that we not only know it, but we don't do anything about it, and we just go on with business as usual. Yeah, I think you said it, uh, Stan, complacency. It's like, good night, look at it, the church is full, this is awesome. Um, if we're not careful, hell will be full too. But we'll be satisfied. We got our little few sets. Y'all, that ain't the church, man. That's what's why you start looking at the New Testament church. I mean, it's like a, it's getting after it, man. It's moving forward. That's why the Lord's like, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. <laughs> hey, in, uh, are y'all listening? Y'all gonna see me back here on the back row? In the book of 2 Kings, I want y'all to check this out. The book of 2 Kings, there's a couple of guys who have leprosy. They're about to die. They're just watching their own bodies fade away. But then all of a sudden they realize there's a city not far from them and they can go over there because there's food over there. I mean, there's a place over there they can go. They can get all that they would desire. It's not going to heal their body, but they desire to go there. So one old boy with leprosy. And y'all know that disease. I mean, your body's rotting off, right? So one old boy looks at the other boy and says, uh, hey, you know, I think we ought to go up to that city. Really? Why don't we just sit here? And then here's what his response is. Why would we just sit here and die? Now, I got to thinking about that one little term in 2 Kings. That if we're not careful, that's what our church would be like. We'll just sit around here and die. Or we can look at each other and be like, why would we sit around here and die? We've got the, the, the gospel of Jesus, which brings people to life. Let's not just sit around here and look at each other. Let's move out with it. Let me say that one more time. Let's not sit around here and look at each other. Let's move out with it. Yeah. Now, that's the thing. Here's what the enemy will do. The enemy will get you thinking about everything in life except the mission of the New Testament church. He'll get you thinking about how much money you got, what kind of cars you got, how many bills you got, anything he can do to get you sidelined from the mission of making disciples. Short life lived here on the earth. If the Lord tarries is coming, I don't want us to be sitting around wasting our time. We've got the good news of the gospel. Let's get out with it. And I'm just letting y'all know, in two weeks on Sunday morning, uh, the Lord put something on my heart this morning and then confirmed it in the first service while I was preaching that I'm going to be preaching two weeks. I want y'all to come back next Sunday too. <laughs> two weeks. It's going to be wild. The goal is that the community would look at Concord and say, them people are crazy. <laughs> crazy, man. Those people down there, they're serious about that. They really think people are going, they're going out telling their people how to be saved. <laughs> That'd be a good testimony of a church, I think. Those people are crazy down there, man. They're serious. They really believe. I mean, Jesus is coming back. They seriously believe it. Hey, guess what? Right now, they don't really think we're that crazy. They just think we know the church is getting together like them other churches around the corner. I just thought of a cool name for a Baptist church. <laughs> crazy Baptist church. Be all right. So anyway, now I've got to quit. So I want you to look at me. I bought, I bought, I'm done here. I'm done here. Look, some of y'all are in the building, and you, you hadn't got in Christ yet. All right, so I'm talking to you about the wrath of God. The only way you can flee that is come to Christ and uh, repent of your sins. So some of you just need to make that decision. I don't know what you've been waiting on. So do that this morning before you leave. God is also coming, so, calling some of you to join this church family. If God's put that on your heart, quit, quit you know, sitting around on that, man. Be obedient to the Lord and allow him to unleash what he desires to do in your life. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to hearts even now.